This week on Dig Me Out. Not good to judge a book by its cover, Jay, or an album by its cover. This is true. I think yeah. I had the same assumptions. Tim and Jay Review, released by Cop Shoot Cop. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me as always, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, it's episode 216, 216, season 5, requested review. Requested, requested review. review. Believe it or not, Jay, we have a request review from Gavin Reed, who I believe has... <laughs> Pretty much. I, I do believe it. Yeah. Well, he's got two free ones every year going forward since he wins our uh, he won our uh, year end contest as a th- our thank you contest. So this is his second free one, I believe, that he's used, and it's Cop Shoot Cop, and their album from what year was it? Nineteen ninety four. Yes. Uh, it's called Release. It's out on Interscope Records. He suggested that we check this record out. He's interested in what we have to say. So, Jay, were you familiar with Cop Shoot Cop? Familiar with the name and the album cover for the Ask Questions Later album? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have have some iconic album covers, I'd say. Yeah, but that's that's it. Okay. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I had some preconceived notions. I thought this band was from a certain city, and they're not. I thought this band sounded a certain way, and they don't. So yeah. I definitely um, I had some errors in my preconceived notions, which is why it's not good to judge a book by its cover, Jay, or an album by its cover. This is true. I think yeah. I had the same assumptions. Let's talk about some history of the band, and let's do away with those assumptions. History of the band. The band was formed in New York City in 1987, which, uh, in terms of my assumptions, I thought they were from Chicago. So there's the first assumption was shot down. Uh, They were initially a trio, um, Todd A. on vocals and bass guitar, David Oymet on keyboards and sampler, and Phil Polio on drums and quote-unquote metal as he used various found objects in his drum set. They added Nick, or excuse me, Jack Nats, who was formerly in the hardcore band The Undead on bass guitar. So for a brief time, Tade sang without playing bass, but then they missed his sort of high-end bass playing. I guess you'd, Peter Hook would be an example of high-end bass playing. Um, and they decided to go with two bass players. I mean, high-end frequency, not like luxury bass playing. Right. He's not playing like $5,000, you know, custom basses. Right. Right. Okay. Just wanted to clarify that. Gotcha. Nance occasionally sang and various members wrote songs, but Todd A. remained the primary singer and songwriter of the band. They released their debut album, Consumer Revolt, in 1990 on Circuit Records. Oymet rejoined and left the band several times, and Jim Coleman was recruited to replace him on Sampler. Uh, after the first album and tour, Oymet left for good. He would guest on Cop Shoot Cop playing trombone in uh, uh, some future releases. Their second album, White Noise, was released in 1991 on the Big Cat label. And somewhere between 91 and 92, they signed to Interscope Records. 
and released the Suck City EP. And then their third album, Ask Questions Later, was released on Interscope. They continued to record and tour. Um, and then they added guitarist Steve McMillan for their fourth and final album release, which was released on 1994, in 1994 on Interscope. The band dissolved a year after release came out. Todd, the lead singer, claimed that the, the band had been treated poorly by Interscope and refused to allow the company to issue their final album. The other members disagreed, though, noting the album was very near complete and that they had all worked on the $150,000 worth of recording sessions. And uh, remaining members of Cop Shoot Cop attempted to complete the album, but Interscope declined to release the material. So it was eventually, the, the, I guess you'd say the fifth Cop Shoot Cop, Cop album was eventually released under the name The Red Expendables. And the various members of the band have gone on to do other things. Um, mm, but that's, that name's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so if you, like Gavin, would like to request a review, please head on over to our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. Uh, Gavin was the only one who left his Facebook feedback, so we'll just move on to our review of Cop Shoot Cop and their final official album for Interscope 1994's release. Jay, let's talk about what worked and what did not work. Now, I mentioned that I had a preconceived notion that this band was from Chicago. I also thought they were industrial, like mm. in the ministry sort of vein. Yeah, that could have been one of the one of the sounds I expected as well. So tell me, Jay, what was something that worked for you on this record? Well, I was pleasantly surprised. I was expecting this to be maybe industrial, but certainly a lot more aggressive and noisy. Now this band can get aggressive and noisy, but mm-hmm. I think I think that the thing I like the best about them is that at least on this record, there's a tremendous amount of space on the record and it allows them to do some pretty interesting things with uh, kind of pull back they pull back the guitars quite a bit even though they get loud um, and aggressive, the guitars aren't in your face, which makes mm-hmm. it I think more musical overall. And it, and it opens up space to bring in unexpected instruments, piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some strings. I don't know if they're keyboard strings or, or what have you. There's some keyboard. You know, the, there's like harmonica on one song. A lot of uh, some additional percussion is added. Um, so it really, I guess I'm just not used to bands um, that are on the aggressive or harsh side doing that. It seems like they tend to really starting in the 90s, they tend to go for a very compressed sound. So everything Mm -hmm. is, it's so, and and very bottom heavy. So it just becomes kind of a wall of of sound, whereas this band doesn't really go for that, which made it really, a really interesting listen for me at least. Um, And it pulled me in much more than what I was expecting. Let's put it that way. Well, in terms of uh, uh, something that I liked, I'm going to go with the rhythm section, which is actually three people since there's two bass players in this band uh, they, they really drive almost all the songs in terms of you could probably just separate out the the bass drums and vocals and you basically have the the core of each song um, right. and they really are the foundation that this whole band is built on and i think when you mentioned the space i think the thing that's so interesting about this band is is for what would be described as i guess a, a post 
post-punk or post-hardcore. I'm not sure exactly what. But they there's a lot of songs that have a great sort of like swing or groove to them. I'm thinking of like track two, It Only Hurts When I Breathe. Just an unexpected sort of vibe to that song that reminded me of bands like, um, what's the name? Oh, Shellac. Um, Bands like Shellac, Girls Against Boys, Jesus Lizard, you know, those sorts of bands that um, don't necessarily have that swing and, but have that same like intense bass and drum connection. Yeah. I really, really dug that that aspect of the band they're having a bit more of a, a forward propulsion with the with the rhythm section and not being like this chugging engine that's just sort right. of driving through the songs yeah i would say the that swing is closer to what you would expect to hear on a maybe a afghan wig song as opposed mm-hmm. to a band like this you know that just that that back end feel for the for the tune it has almost like a <laughs> an evil vaudeville kind of feel or something. I don't know if that <laughs> makes does. sense, but it's like really cool. And it's not at all what you would expect for, I think um, like an industrial sound or a band that's, you know, a little bit harsher on the the bass tone and the, the vocal is pretty gruff. I actually think this band kind of falls into what I would expect in a song like Slackjaw, track five. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a, Tom Waits meets metal kind of thing. And it's not nearly as interesting to me as some of this other material. It's, that's right. Got more of a swing feel or it has a, uh, maybe it's driving, but it's driving on bass and the guitars are just adding like ambience and, and noise or, you know, just not even noise, but just like mood and the vocal really, really shines in a lot of cases too, which is, Unexpected. I, I was thinking with a band like this, like the vocal would be kind of an afterthought or just a another layer of of chaos. But it's actually pretty strong, and it's yeah, it's mixed that way. It's mixed so that you pay attention to it, and it's you know big area of focus. Yeah, like any day now is a good example of a song that I mean, it has like a vocal hook. I mean, it has a, it has this distinct vocal aspect to the song that a lot of bands would ignore in the same genre of music it would just be a yep. lot of screaming and a lot of carrying on and in this case you know there's a distinct through line to the song in terms of lyrical content and that exists throughout a lot of the record in terms of the the lyrics and in terms of melodies being there that are present that were unexpected One of these days 
confounded me in a lot of ways because then you get to like track three last legs which has this like mid-ragey piano and then there's horns on it and it's got a swing to it but then it's like real heavy and you're like this doesn't really this shouldn't make sense but yet it it totally does like this this actually works really well together without going into like if you if you toned the bass and drums down a little bit it would almost get into like a progressive sort of like jazzy feel um, mm-hmm. but they they keep it you know just a little bit more dirty and raw that it yeah. doesn't it doesn't do that it's always got that grit you yeah know? it's always got the uh, tinge of darkness to it that that makes it cool so even though they might mix in some some horns that for a moment are a little on the cheesy side mm-hmm. um it, it turns the corner or it, you know it's so brief that it's kind of a more of a nice break than it is a distraction I, I, I heard a bunch of different things in here. I heard moments of like the, of you know refused on this mm-hmm. record, just brief snippets here and there. Sucker Punch, when they go to the double kick part um, in that song, it, it reminded me a little bit of Ministry. It's because it's really propulsive and just for a moment is really in your face. So I think that's kind of where the maybe the industrial thing came from. Sometimes the way he sings is a little in the Trent Reznor ballpark especially when he gets to a chorus. There's a lot of cool bands on here that either came after them or around the same time, but that, you know, you, you hear notes here and there, but in no way do they sound like they're really, they, they sound original. Like I don't, I couldn't really think of a band before them that they were maybe, you know, aping. It was, or inspired by, it seemed very, other than maybe Tom Waits, that was the only thing I could think of that maybe they came before them that they could have got inspiration from. But other than that, it seemed uh, really original. Uh, I can I can hear in terms of influence. I could hear some like '80s Sonic Youth to some of this. Yeah. I, I was also thinking in terms of Tom Waits. Also, there was some 
songs, um, like Ambulance Song, that kind of reminded me of Nick Cave. It had, mm. a, had a Nick Cave vibe to it. But just a vibe overall, not like he's trying to do a Nick Cave sort of style of vocal, but just the, the use of a lot of like dramatic music that sounds like it's out of a horror film or something. And then, you know, that yeah, sort of like slow sing speak vocal aspect to it. Um, yep. But I think in terms of, you know, what I was expect I was expecting the album to be more like turning inside out and money drunk, where it was like more screaming and more loud yeah. and and really those are the exceptions on the album which actually makes yep. them more interesting because the rest of the album is so much more restrained that when you do get those songs where they sort of let loose and get the volume up they're, they're more welcome than if it was a whole record of that yeah i agree i mean those tend to be if i singled them out you know not my favorite songs on the record but mm-hmm. I, I get what you're saying they're there you appreciate them more because it's not full on all the time I guess I was I was expecting more like uh, that bank carp that we reviewed. I was expecting right. something more like that, you know, just a full onslaught all the time. Just in cramped. your face, yeah. Yeah, super compressed sound, you know, just, yeah, I was really thrown for a curve with this in a the good thing, way. The other thing that it reminded me of in terms of that sort of swing is, is Jawbox would use that sort of swing and bass line on, on some of their stuff. Um, yeah. And again, that's a that's a... I guess post punk or post hardcore, whatever you want to call it, um, band as well. So, although that, you know, they obviously used a lot of interesting guitar stuff that this band doesn't necessarily work in that same area, but using the rhythm section in that same way. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that the rhythm section is similar enough. And drum wise, I think there's some parts in here that are similar enough to, to Jawbox or post hardcore that you get that flavor as well, for sure. Mm-hmm. So now, while there are some songs on here that are, are catchy, um, I wouldn't say there's anything that's necessarily a radio single, would you? Uh, no, I think closest is like maybe Any Day Now. This, mm-hmm. this is the closest to approaching like a legitimate hook, vocal hook, but no, I don't. I, well, it's tough to say. I mean, you know, Nine Inch Nails had radio hits at this time. Right. I mean, I guess I guess their songs are hookier than this, but... They're certainly no less aggressive. Well, I was trying to think about, you know, 94, the climate for when this came out. If any day now had, like, a really good video to go with it, mm-hmm. it could have probably been a Buzzbin hit. Or, yeah. or at least a Buzzbin song. And I don't think that it... I, I think that rather than, you know, reaching up to that Nine Inch Nails level... Um, I think they fall back down into sort of the girls against boys and bark market and Jesus lizard level where they're, you know, going to be a band that's going to open those tours for nine inch nails, but isn't going to be a band that is going to be out headlining tours or getting played on MTV constantly. They're going to always be sort of relegated to the, to the second tier, which isn't, you know, a, a shot at the quality of the music. Cause the music's really interesting. Cool. But it's just not radio or MTV friendly for 1994. Uh, which is probably why you and I were both sort of like kind of heard about this band and kind of knew about the album covers, but had no idea what the heck was going on. Yeah, this I don't think this album cover is particularly good in terms of uh, making me uh, want to listen to this record. The previous one is more memorable, but this one is kind of like, I don't know, just not compelling. <laughs> right. Uh, 
I don't know, did you feel that way? Like, could you imagine like going through CD Bent seeing this and being intrigued to want to listen to it? Just be like, uh, I think I know what this is like, and I'm not really that into it. Well, considering what they had done on on previous, you know, album covers, it's it is disappointing. I mean, it's it's just not as interesting as Ask Questions Later or Consumer Revolt. It's just you know, it's an an anvil. I think that's an anvil, yeah. right? Yeah, and just some like cruddy type and texture. Right. I mean, it looks very '90s. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. It looks like a a still from a Nine Inch Nails video or something, but right, but a little less sophisticated or a lot less sophisticated. So now Dave Sardi of Bark Market was a co-producer on the record, which I guess really okay makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that was a band I thought of as well, especially from a production standpoint. They did have that similarity in how they use space and instrumentation and just were aggressive without being you know full on compressed wall guitars so that makes sense i think i like this this record better though i need to go back and listen to that bark bark market record but i don't know i felt like this was um worked a little better for me i don't know why i really dug the piano stuff i just thought that was so ballsy especially for 1994 you know what i mean like how they're using pianos on this record i was kind of blown away by that they they took that risk it just seems so I can't I, in '94 that it, it must have just been the, the oddest thing ever to put this record on and hear that. I would imagine that when Interscope got it, they were probably confounded as well. <laughs> you know, they're they're looking for blatant radio singles at this time, so I'm sure that they were didn't know exactly what to do. And and Gavin had mentioned that this was their, you know, they had one record out before this on Interscope, um, which was Ask Questions Later, um, which if you go to like All Music, that's considered like the album to get so in terms of this being a quote-unquote you know more streamlined or sellout not sellout but less abrasive record i don't i haven't listened to the other ones because i just wanted to focus on this one but i still think that in retrospect this is still a pretty in a lot of ways abrasive record it's not going to be a mainstream you know uh, sort of release but I don't know. It still sounds pretty edgy to me in a lot of aspects. Oh, it's, sure. I mean, it's not in, it's, a, in a totally different way. Right. Like they, um, I'm looking at some of their album covers and they did a, looks like they maybe did like a split with Helmet. And that's maybe a band that I would expect them to sound more like. But there's so much more dimension here than what you hear on any Helmet record, you know? Right. But still it, super edgy and dark. 
I think part of it may be because these l- lyrics are not as overtly as political as I'm gathering from some of the previous albums. I mean, the band's mm-hmm. overall has been sort of more of a political band in terms of the lyrics and I guess the naming of the band as well, or socio-political. So mm-hmm. maybe the fact that this isn't necessarily a politically driven lyrics album, that that's where some of the, I guess, criticism comes from for it not being as aggressive as the previous records. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So uh, let's talk about our overall ratings for this record, Jay. Were the album better EP or decent single? Where do you lie? 13 songs. Oh, yeah. I'm going to say were the album. Uh, I think if it was an EP, you wouldn't quite get it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what sampling of songs I would I would take from this to make an EP so that you really understood what the band was about. I think you need the full range of the record to kind of get that uh, and see the see the the range and the dimension that, that they that they offer. Um, don't know if it needs to be 13 songs, but uh, certainly, you know, needs to be more than just an EP. I agree with you on that. I think there's a solid eight or nine songs on the record that could easily stand on their own. And then a couple songs, uh, the more abrasive ones, and then one of the slower ones you could probably uh, chop off and it would still be, you know, a really strong record. So that's two worthy albums from us on this release of release. (laughs) Uh, We need to thank Gavin Reed for suggesting this record. I get the feeling this will not be the last time we hear from Gavin this year. You might be hearing from him soon. Uh, Very soon. So if you would like to suggest an album for us to review, please head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com and hit up our request a review page. And of course, if you like what you heard, consider uh, heading over to our iTunes page and leaving us some positive feedback. We do appreciate that. And that's that's it. Next week, we're going to be doing a roundtable discussion on um, a subject that I've been, uh, or a subject that's been uh, interesting to us in terms of uh, recent uh, reviews that we've done and, and some interviews. We're going to be talking about bands reuniting. We talked to Kelly Scott from Failure about uh, Failure getting back together after about a 14 year hiatus. And, um, and then we just talked to John Davis from formerly of super drag uh, who did reunite for a brief period in the 2000s and then um is now put that band to bed to start up the lisa memory so two different sort of uh views on bands getting back together and we're going to have some folks joining us to talk about the pros and cons the good and the bad and all of that so be sure to tune in for that episode that's it for jay i'm tim That's it. Another one in the books. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.